Welcome to the Off Trail Podcast. I'm Constantine. And I'm Magpie. And this is a show about light outdoors. Come take a step with us into what it takes to be a hiker, backpacker, rock climber, cyclist, or any other type of outdoor adventure. Let's get to stepping. All right. Welcome back to the Off Trail Podcast. My name is Constantine. And I'm Magpie. And we're back after a long reprieve, 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 reprieve. Um, so this week, I guess, uh, yeah, it's been a while. So I guess I'm feeling super rusty. So I guess the first things first is we're going to do a two-part series. This is the first part in that series on something called the Te Aurora Trail. Te Aurora. Yes. Also. You might notice the audio quality this time is a little different. Yep. Uh, we don't have the podcast microphone. We're still in New Zealand. Yeah, so we're still in New Zealand, so no mic, but we do have an energy drink standing in the position of where the mic is, so we're going to just pretend that that is the mic, and we're going to speak to the energy drink gods, and hopefully the energy drink gods transfer that sound bite edge into your ear edge through the computer edge. I'm rusty. I'm super rusty. I'm surprised from the way you're talking that you actually haven't already opened this energy drink let's go ahead and do it so i've been so excited so we've been in new zealand now for three four months somewhere in that ballpark so the trail took us um, doing some baseline math i'm not going to do the math we've been in the new zealand for three closer to four months at this point and we haven't actually recorded a podcast in new zealand because we were hiking the ta um thought maybe i'll try to record some podcasts in like trail town zero days whatnot but logistically it's just super hard so Long story short, which I don't know how to do that well, but long story short, um, I've been keeping my ears to the proverbial crackage of energy drink bubblage grindstone. What? I don't know where I went with that. You're more of a short story long kind of guy. Yeah. You've been looking out for weird energy drinks. Yeah, I That's have. what you're trying to say. Yeah, I have. And I've earmarked quite a few. But this one was actually fun because I hadn't seen this one besides yesterday and shout out my favorite grocery store in New Zealand, Countdown. Um, we'll go into that shortly as we unpack the episode, but Countdown, I love you. So this energy drink is called, just straight up, it's called Demon. <laughs> You're actually going to have demons inside you. I know. Which is his favorite joke. Whenever he farts, he's like, got to get the demons. You have to get the demons out. You don't want them inside because they'll cause havoc inside. You're going to put a demon inside of you. I am going to put a demon inside of me. It's called Demon Energy. Um, what does that say right there? It's like one of those parental advisory warnings. High energy warning, 100% demon energy. I'm actually going to have demon energy inside me. And then the back says their tagline, drink it loud. Contains caffeine, not recommended for children, pregnant, or lactating women, or individuals sensitive to caffeine. Do not consume more than one can per day. So this is... How much caffeine is in this? It's a lot. I'm assuming it's going to be quite a lot. 160 milligrams. Oh, that's pretty average for energy drinks. Plus 1,000 milligrams of taurine. (laughs) That's going to make me uh, get the demons out eventually. So... It's a guarano and a taurine mixture. Guarana and yes. taurine. Yes, there we go. Thank you, Magpie. So I'm going to stop beating around the proverbial demon bush and just... Oh, yeah, it's, the crack's not going to be as good for them. No. Because the microphone is the demon bush. But there's no microphone. Just, just drink your drink. Get your demons uh, in. Let's try these demons. It smells like Red Bull. It tastes like Red Bull. Honestly, it's Red Bull. It's a Red Bull with a very fruity mixture you could actually it has sugar in it i try to get the sugar-free drinks because i'm watching my figure um hashtag blessed hashtag 
sexy. No, there's nothing in here that I couldn't have. <laughs> yeah, so she except can, that, like, I would perhaps rather uh, not. She might be. This might be a exclusive. Might be this one. might be an exclusive. I usually always get sugar free because, again, watching this figure, it doesn't happen naturally. Like, I have to put thousands of cookies per week. I'm gonna, in this. I'm gonna have a set. Oh, exclusive. Yeah, that literally just tastes like Red Bull. So you know how we paint pictures with our words here about what the taste is? Like we did Mama Bird, Baby Bird. We did Squeeze in a Tangerine Tree. What is your word flavor? What is your word story for this drink? I mean, it literally just tastes like Red Bull. Potentially like a slightly more strawberry flavored Red Bull, but it's like, yeah, like citrusy with a little bit of a berry flavor. Magpie gives it to you straightforward, blunt. As she says, that rock can't tell me what to do. <laughs> um, when you ask Magpie for words of encouragement or when you ask Magpie on trail for, please describe this, she will come out with a two word saying, or just she'll describe it exactly as those eye peepers, eyeballs look at it. Um, yeah, like, it's literally, if you've tasted Red Bull, you know what this tastes like. It doesn't taste like a demon, which is kind of upsetting. I really wanted that sip to like actually like hurt me because you know, that's a, that's a, I was kind of expecting it to be more bitter, yeah. considering how much taurine there is in this, but they also probably put a lot of sugar in it. Well, that's a prerequisite of a good product and a good manufacturing process. Well, I shouldn't process. have actually drank that. Uh-oh. You're going to have demons inside of you. I mean, I think I should be okay with a little sip, but yeah, it has potassium sorbate in it. If the product hurts you, you know that is a quality company. Um, what other products hurt me? Backpacks hurt me. Sleeping bags hurt me. Do they? I guess those shoes hurt me. Yeah. She just hurt my soul. Okay, enough rambles. Really rusty at this. I don't. I want to go deeper into the demon energy because, like, I there's know there's so many. But there's so it. many stories and like tangents I can go on off the demon energy. But we're gonna let it pop up and flavor it as we go so along. So what are we actually talking about today? Tell the people. We are talking about the Tearora Trail. Tearora. In New Zealand. So, for New Zealand listeners, I guess for all listeners, disclaimer here. I am actually gonna be trying my best for all the words that I'm going to try to pronounce. These towns, understandably so, are called indigenous words that my, unfortunately, I want to find a better word than stupid brain, but my, my, my reading brain is at first grade level. And my talking... You guys all know, Constantine struggles to actually pronounce words that he already knows. Yeah. Pronouncing words in another language that has a different, like, vowel and consonant system yeah. is just beyond him. So he's doing his best. He's not trying to make fun of the Maori language. He's just, like, struggling with his reading. So I, I'm actually going to try to pronounce all of these this correctly. This brings us back to the discussion of whether or not you're dyslexic. I'm not dyslexic. <laughs> We've never had that discussion on air. I'm not dyslexic. I think you might be. Sometimes you just read quickly and then you combine then you the words. And you mash all the letters together. <laughs> yeah, that's what you do. Sometimes you just like look at a sentence and sometimes four words become one word. Sometimes three words become one word. You just combine them all You just look brain. at the first letter of the word and make your first get your best guess. Yeah, yeah. That's how, that's how my brain works. <laughs> when it says motel, I'm just reading it and it's just, yeah, that's all I see. There's no story there. That's that's not a good example. Um, yeah, terrible example. Really rusty. Okay. Teorora. Um, I'm not dyslexic. Teorora. Teorora. So this trail overview is it is 3,000 kilometers long. I should have actually done the math before starting to record this. So we ended up walking ballparking it. 2,100 miles. I'll end up putting the exact math in the show notes. 
Um, so if you're into the show notes on podcast, click that down scroll arrow and I'll put the exact miles that we actually walked down there. But TA, we're going to start with, yeah, the, I guess, ballpark, and then we're going to focus in on the North Island. So Magpie, can you describe the difference between North Island and South Island? Like not as we hiked it yet, but just like as a ballpark. So we start focusing in on it. Okay. So the Teodora goes translates to the long pathway in Maori and it goes from the northern tip of the North Island called Cape Ranga to the southern tip of the South Island called Bluff. Yes. And the North Island is closer to the equator so it is warmer. I always knew that. Constantine was like we go south it gets warmer. I'm like no. South, we go south it gets colder. South for me has always meant comfort and warmth so and the, it was not that way. The North Island is like quite jungly. There are some like big hills there are some mountain ranges but the ta doesn't put you through them a lot it seems as if the ta is designed specifically for like foreigners to come experience new zealand and so it's yeah. like a lot of cultural stuff yeah a lot of beaches a lot of coastline walking a lot of mud yes the south island is more mountainous and more temperate so like less warm because as you go south you get closer to antarctica <laughs> and uh a lot more rugged a lot more backcountry travel really beautiful mountain ranges and then you get down to the south coast and you're actually on the southern ocean not even the pacific anymore getting close to antarctica close-ish close-ish it's 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 a loose term i mean it's closer than you would be anywhere else you're closer than you've ever been before if you live in america or canada yeah unless you're from like chile yeah i said america or canada i guess south america would be a different story but if you live in in the united states or canada it's the south most south you'll ever be I, I don't know what I'm saying anymore. I can't talk. The demons are expelling themselves from my body in, like, not even cohesive words. This is rough. This is going to be a rough one, y'all. Um, strap in. So, Magpie did a good overview of it. So, we're going to break down our experience on the North Island. And I want to put another disclaimer in here. This is our experience. So, as Magpie said, the Te Aurora, it feels like it was a trail built for people to be quote-unquote more tourists and less hikers if that makes sense yeah and the people that we met during the ta also sort of bore that out especially in the north island a lot of people it's a lot of road walking in between like small sections of like conservation land yeah and so a lot of people that we were hiking around like just hitchhike the roads and there's not a lot of like like the culture of the ta doesn't have a big emphasis on purity yeah, at, at least the bubbles we were close by to. Yeah. Not to say that people aren't connecting their footsteps, but... Like, a lot of people aren't, and nobody is really that upset about it. No, and everybody can hike their own way, but I guess that's a good bouncing-off spot to start before we get into the intricacies of the North Island, is the culture, for lack of a better word again, is shock. So, like, culturally, not New Zealand, but culturally, the hiking culture compared to the hiking culture of an American trail or a Canadian trail was drastically different than what we assumed. Yeah, it's not really focused on the hiking, especially like in the northern part of the North Island, the trail goes out of its way to put you through like cultural attractions. Mm. So you go through like these cute beach towns, you go by the the Waitangi Cultural Center, which is where the Treaty of Waitangi was signed, which is an important historical moment in New Zealand. Uh, it puts you like all the way through Auckland. So 
it's a lot of road walk and like the the trail designer wants you to come and use it as a jumping off point to see the highlights of the north island so more so than it wants to be like a really excellent backcountry hike yeah like within the first week i think it would be a fair number to say 90 percent of the people we met were going out to the ta as a conduit to explore new zealand which is awesome they were using the hiking line or the route to go see like the highlights of new zealand but they weren't going in it with a through hike per se mentality of like either purism or following the red line or connecting every step like everybody through hikes a different way but like again the vast majority of people we met were doing it as an adventure which is super awesome it's just i didn't expect that going into it i expected like a very similar vibe to like the pct cdt ish yeah exactly like a lot of people compare the ta to the cdt and i would say that like the sections where you're in the backcountry are comparable. Yeah. Just in terms of like difficulty, route finding, like the intensity of the elevation. But the vibe of the TA, particularly in the North Island, is quite different. Yeah. There's not a lot of hardcore hikers. The other thing that makes the North Island tricky is that basically from the beginning at Cape Ranga to like well south of Auckland. Yeah. You cannot really free camp. I actually, I'm glad you, I, that was my next talking point as so well. Yeah. You're stuck going from like campsite to campsite and you can like skip one, but they're not close enough together that you can like, oh, we'll just hike three more miles. It's yeah. like today we're either doing like 18 miles or 34. Yeah. When and she, that's it. Yeah. When she says skip the camp spot, it's not like hop in a car and skip. It's you're still hiking it. But when you she can says hike past it. you can hike past it, but not, as she said, three miles past, like you have to combine or compress really how the designers up there did it two days into one day. Yeah. Because they anticipate you're going to do 18 miles a day, which is grad, uh, naturally a good average. Um, but if you are tending to want to do 20 miles a day, 25 miles a day, you're either going to have to cut your pace back or increase your pace drastically. Yeah. So, and a lot of it is like going from like, they call campgrounds here holiday parks. So you're yep. going from like paid campsite to paid campsite. And some places you're even going from like motel to motel to motel. That's very rare. That was in the oh, Auckland Sprawl. The Auckland Sprawl. But that yeah. also took us a week. No, to it took go us from three like, days. It took us to go from like north of Auckland on the beaches to like south of Auckland where we could actually keep going. Like we managed to find some holiday parks. But like if they hadn't been available, we would have had to go like a week of just motel to motel hiking. I guess it's how you define the Auckland Sprawl because the Auckland Sprawl really starts before Browning Bay. Yeah. It really starts in Puhoy. It, it starts in Puhoy and it goes all the way like south past like East Huntley. Basically, past, goes, past Hamilton. Yeah, it goes so all, I guess it basically would be all the way to yeah. Palmerston North. You're like not able to free camp anywhere. Yeah, for people listening, I think that's ballparking like close to 200 miles. Um, of, of around Auckland where it's just like mostly roads. Of a lot of sprawl. So like there are pockets of like little eight mile here, like Dome Cafe hiking. Like you go into like forest for little pockets of trail, but like the sprawl, I think, for southbounders ends around past Hamilton. Yeah. I think But so. even then, you're still, like, I would say that probably 80% of the North Island, you cannot choose where you camp necessarily. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And the parts that are, like, free camping, technically, will be, like, little chunks of, like, six 
eight, ten miles where you're like, okay, we can camp anywhere in there. Yeah, your pace is kind of defined for you. Again, you can either go 18 miles, great day. I'm not saying slow, but I'm saying for Magpie and I's personal preference of hiking, you can either go slow or you can go quick and do, we didn't want to do 34 miles like within the first, I think we did like a, we did a 30. We did a, no, we had, we went into Kataya, like we did a 30 something within the first week. Yeah. And we like 30 mile days, but within the first week of hiking, we didn't want to do that. We wanted to sit into that mid 20 pace, like but our other get our bodies right. Our other option would have been to hike like 11 miles. Yeah. Yeah. So like you don't really have many options and that tends to, again, bubble up hikers and this this year of 2023 i think had a lot of factors playing into it i think it had the back backlog of those two covid years that people couldn't hike the ta 2020 and 21 and potentially i guess we started in 2022 so 2020 and 2021 and that kind of leaked into the trail and then it just from people we talked to they said it was four times more than they've ever had on the TA. So it was a lot of folks in that beginning. And I think part of the reason I'm explaining, like you can't really pick your campsite is like typically right when you start a trail, you might be around people who are hiking in a different style than you, but if you're going faster than them, you'll like outpace them and end up sort of self-sorting by how you want to hike and what speed you're going. But because the TA gives you these options of like a super short day or a super long day, we nobody could sort by pace because the people who were going slower ended up being forced to do longer days and the people who are going faster often our choice was like well we don't want to hike 40 miles so i guess we're just going to get to camp at like noon yeah and so we couldn't meet anyone who was going a faster pace because like everyone has to stamp at the same campsites so you could never catch up to somebody and you could never get past people so for quite a while we were in a bubble of people who were like why are you guys like hiking so fast yeah that was why do you care about being curious that was very difficult um like magpie said most trails over in the u.s and canada self-sort by pace like if you're doing 20 miles to 25 you tend to like end up getting in the same crew that does that type of pace but especially with the way the ta is designed um you have people that are doing 18 miles or you're forced to do 34 miles and that sometimes in magpie i would be forced to do the bigger mile days we, we would meet up with the same people because, because they would just hitch the roads to get to that camp spot and then it would be frustrating because we would have hiked all day and then yeah. we'd like run into these people taking up the whole campsite because they got there at three because they hitchhiked <laughs> completely different culture again it's their own adventure like no judgment people can do exactly what they want to do if they're having a good time on trail great it's just our personal experience it didn't let us like meet that hiking bubble that would self-sort ourselves into their pace, which was kind of upsetting in the beginning. But the other thing that was frustrating too, was a lot of people because of that tendency to like hike shorter days, people were not expecting someone to roll into camp at like eight o'clock around sunset. And so they would set up thinking like by four o'clock, everybody's here and there wouldn't be actually room for us to be there. That culture actually permeated pretty much an entire TA. It's a lot of first time hikers. So like we can cut them some slack because they don't necessarily know the like etiquette is like always try to leave a little bit of space so that if someone rolls in late. Yeah. But like we were the only people rolling in late ever. So how would those newbie hikers ever have learned that on the TA? They wouldn't. Well, granted, there were more people out there. Like there were other fast pockets of hikers. There are other purists. It was just the minority of hikers were hiking that way, which is 
again, fine. But when the minority of hikers are doing a specific type of hike, it means the majority is used to a certain type of culture. So like a lot of the time, if we were getting into camp at seven, eight o'clock as Magpie defined, North Island and South Island, people would have been there since four or five. And they were kind of like puzzled why we were getting in late. So it's like the culture was very, for lack of a better term, shocking to to us. Um, I was not anticipating that. And it kind of, it forced us to like, I guess the best word's a little lonely. It was a little lonely in the beginning. Um, we had some good buddies that like, shout out Zach, um, if he hears this, shout out Richard, if you hear this. We had some good buddies that we did hike with on the North Island. But like, overall, we saw a lot of people each day, but we didn't really get to integrate into that trail family mentality. Yeah. And I think that's even a different like feeling than like the trails that we've done together where it's like, Oh, we're the only people on this trail. Or like there's a guy seven days ahead of us that we're never going to catch. Yeah. That doesn't feel lonely because you're just, just two of you. But when you're like constantly seeing the same people all the time, but you're not part of their crew. That was kind of a bummer. Well, it's because we were connecting every step. So like, and they were sort of mystified by it and perhaps a little defensive. Like I got the vibe that like some people were like, oh, like, are you judging me? Which we weren't, but I can understand why people would feel weird about that. Yeah. And especially, I think we did episodes about this before getting into this hike is like something both Magpie and I were craving since we've done so many trails that it's just been me and her. And like, there's not really a hiking culture around it because it's a very lesser known trail. We were really craving like trail culture and we still got a lot of trail culture, but, but we like were, trail family, we were crazy trail family. Like everybody that pushes you harder, people that like, are like, Oh, let's go an extra mile. Let's go an extra two miles. Like Richard, again, shout out. If you hear this, he pushed us hard and he ended up leaving us in the dust. He was <laughs> way quicker than us, but like it wasn't every day we would meet somebody that um, challenged us, challenged us like physically and mentally. And like, that's what I really love about the hiking culture is, that camaraderie and pushing harder that camaraderie and like challenging each other and it was just a different culture than i expected so it was a little little lonely in the beginning but we ended up getting into a groove and finding our kind of joy and happiness yeah i mean until wellington but we'll get there shortly well you were grumpy in wellington i was happy but like one of the yeah honestly if you were gonna hike the teodora coming from like an American trail with trail experience, I would just like fully skip the North Island. I wouldn't. Um, I would, or like maybe start with like the Tongariro Crossing, which is like the first after Auckland from 90 Mile Beach, which is like three days when you start down to Tongariro. Yeah. It's like 600 miles where yeah. it's like 80% roadwalk. <laughs> Yes. So I would maybe start at Tongariro Crossing, hike over that, go to like the Fonganui River Traverse, which is like a really cool like canoe trip that's actually part of the TA. Yeah. You're not supposed to hike that part. You're supposed to like get in a canoe and canoe this like iconic New Zealand river and then just hike south from there. I wouldn't bother doing like the Auckland area. I would come back and be a tourist afterward. Yeah. I wouldn't go as high as saying 80% because if people from the North Island are listening, like maybe 60%, but it felt like a heavy amount of road. And partly this year, why there was a heavier amount of road is there were forest closures due to cowrie dieback, which is um, a native tree. But yeah, so they had closed a bunch of forests to avoid spreading like a fungus disease between infected forests and uninfected forests, which is understandable. 
yeah, I mean, it's a good reason to close the forest, but it just meant that, like, the sections north of Auckland where normally we would have been able to hike and free camp and, like, be in the woods. Yeah. We had to roadwalk around it for, like, multiple days. Yeah, and I want to expand, and it was official alternates, by the way, but I want to expand on what Magpie said because for people listening, I know a lot of y'all are through hikers. I know a lot of y'all are interested in through hiking, starting backpacking, whatever it is. I want to expand on the concept of through hiking in New Zealand. So what Magpie said is being a tourist on the North Island. And what we just talked about is the culture of the TA hiking culture. So what I want to expand upon is the North Island in general. The South Island is a very easy, uh, quote unquote easy, physically, it's going to be hard, but it's an easy way to get lost in the through hiking culture because a lot of the trail is designed for through hiking. The North Island... I don't know the best way to describe this. I would come into the TA with a different mindset. If I if I could go back to be, start this anew, I wouldn't come into hiking from Cape Ranga to Bluff with the purism mindset that we did. Um, once I started in a purism mindset, it's very difficult for me to get out of that mindset. I wanted but, to hitchhike past Auckland, but you needed to be a purist. I wanted to connect every step. So, like, I guess the recommendation is being flexible with the North Island, which... of the hikers we met were doing that and like someone is stubborn yeah someone is stubborn and it looked like a great time but what I'm trying to say is like the North Island is extremely pretty I think we met the friendliest people on the North Island by far oh it's worth exploring the North Island yeah I just don't think it's worth through hiking the North Island yeah I would I would go as far as to say that I would pick and choose highlights through the North Island and go back and do those I think it would be a better use of time if you really um, wanted to like connect the trail through like human power actually like cycling from like kaitaya to palmerston north yeah would be a really good way to do that or like kaitaya to hamilton and you end up walking cycling you end paths. up w- walking like beautiful cycling path but like it's a bike path like the timber trail <laughs> is like one of the great rides of new zealand but you walk it and it's like some yeah it's choose, just forest some people choose to ride the bike but yeah i mean Again, for people listening, you're going to do exactly what you want to do. That's great. We're just trying to give you information and recommendations from just experiencing it. So if you want to go do a thru-hike from Cape Ranga to Bluff, A-OK on you. Do that purism thing. Do your connected steps, whatever it is. Just be prepared that the North Island is not necessarily situated for a thru-hike that you might be used to, like if you hiked in the U.S. It's not designed to be a thru-hike in the way that the South Island is. Yeah. Yeah. So... I guess that's a lot of ballpark information on the North Island. And I wanted to give a more flavorful approach to it. So we talked about roads. We talked about the structure of the campsites. Let's talk about when you did get into the forests. Which forests do you mean? I'm going to just ballpark and say all of them. Oh, the all, mud? Yeah. The mud? <laughs> yeah. The yeah. mud and the stairs? The, and mud, the mud and the stairs, yes. And that's, what I was, that's what I was looking for, yeah. Yeah. You will break your knees. You will break your knees. <laughs> and from either sliding or from just the sheer amount of stairs. Oh my Jesus. I'm thinking specifically of Bremehead, which was like, what was it? It's like actually kind of the last like trail-y section that you do before you get into the Auckland Sprawl. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. It's like a thousand feet per mile up. It's chonky. It's for like hours it's super chonky. It's super chonky like at some certain points you're like grabbing trees and like hauling yourself vertically <laughs> and like these climbs are made even more difficult because it's like ankle to knee deep mud the whole way 
because it's like right on the point of the coast where it gets tons of rain yeah and it's like under this extremely thick jungly canopy so it never dries out yeah and then you get to the top and yeah. you do these like vicious up and downs yeah. like because it's a volcanic top so it's not like a nice smooth ridge line like you get to the top and you're like cool i'm done we just cruise no you're going up and over all of these sharp little peaks. Vicious is the right word. They're vicious. Like, it's the flat... Things that look flat on the map are the things you have to look out for. <laughs> yeah, the mystery miles. The mystery miles. Yeah. Because you look at the map, you're like, oh, it's only like 200 feet of elevation gain up and down. Yeah. It shouldn't be a problem. And then you get there and you're like, oh, it's cliffs. That is a great talking point. I'm glad you touched on that. I would have completely forgot about that. My soul would have remembered it, but I don't know if I would remember to talk about it on here. So... When you're looking at a topo map with New Zealand, um, specifically the map that everybody uses, you're going to look at the elevation profile, and you're going to see a long climb, and you're going to be like, okay, that's going to be chunky. That's going to be challenging. That's 2,000 feet up, or I don't know, 3,000 feet up, 1,000 meters up. It's going to be a long climb, and yeah, it's going to be long. It's going to be steep. New Zealand does not believe in switchbacks, but- They do believe in stairs, but half the time they're like falling out of the cliff. Yes. Where you got to be really worried- is when you do that big climb and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, it looks somewhat flat for the next few miles. Like there's a few micro ups and downs, but like overall might gain like 200 feet of elevation, drop 200 feet. They hide a lot of elevation in that little flat line. Yeah, just because it looks relatively small because you've just done this huge up. Yeah. But like they're so steep. And it doesn't register on the elevation profile, uh, how steep and how far down and how far up you go. Yeah. So where you got to be the most worried is when you see a flat elevation profile in New Zealand. Especially on the top of a mountain. <laughs> yeah. That's where it's going to catch you. Or in the bottom of a river. Or in the bottom of a river. Because it's volcanic. So yeah. it doesn't have the same, like the Rockies or the like Pacific Coast mm -hmm. has. You go up. To the top, you walk along the ridge line, which like, yeah, it might have like a little bit of elevation yeah. up and down in it, but it's relatively smooth on top. Relatively and then you go down. Yeah. In New Zealand, the ranges are made from like chains of volcanoes, just like one punches up through the crust and then the next one punches up through the crust next to it and then a third one. And so you get to the peak and the peak is literally like, it's a cone. Yeah. It's not a ridge line. You just you drop from, sharp, sharp. You go from cone and then you go down and yeah. then you go back up to the next cone and then you go down and then you go up to the next cone. And there are knee breaker downs and ups. Like you go straight down a hundred feet of elevation and like you can see the top from the other top you've been on, but you go straight down, straight back up. So that's the challenge. The most challenging part of New Zealand is the mystery miles inside and the mystery elevation gain inside of the quote unquote flat Easy parts. Yeah. So be very conscious about that. I think the only, excuse me, rid, the demons are coming out. I told you. The only ridge line I can actually remember, like it being a ridge walk that we were used to, like an American or Canadian ridge walk, is um, walking into Lake Tekapo. Yeah, that, that one is like the only place. That's the only ridge line that I can remember actually being like, this feels like a ridge line walk. Yeah, but I'm that's not, on the South Island. It's on the South Island. We're not going to get there yet. That'll be future there's just so much information i'm trying to impart well, and, there. and you know why it feels like that because in lake tekapo it's actually tectonic it's oh. not a volcano well there you go yeah so i mean there are also volcanoes there but yeah so a lot of the time too what is difficult um you on a through hike there's difficulties but what is different i guess about the ta and i'm gonna go here with the north island is it's very hard to estimate how far you're going to be able to get each day 
So on a road walk portion, if you see road, you know your pace, you know how fast you're going to go. You can say, I'm going to get 20 miles in today, 30 miles in, depending on where that well, camp spot only, may be. The only places where you can actually estimate your pace are places where like your pace doesn't matter because you have to get to a designated spot. Yes, but with these forests um, and these chonky, chonky ups and downs, you really can never estimate or um, average your pace for the most part. I want to I caveat that. Like, Granted, if you wake up at a certain time and just say, I'm going to walk until I hit that camp spot, you'll get there. But like, if you're trying to hit a time mark or time windows, a lot of the time it's very hard to guesstimate your pace. I think broadly, I could say we average two miles per hour on the North Island. Maybe. If we're excluding But then roads. like, but that also like, no, we probably average two miles per hour overall, even including roads. Huh. Because of the Tararua range, oh, we were doing like half a mile per hour that in day, some places. It took us 13 hours to go 13 miles, I believe. It took us 14 hours to go 13 miles. I think we did it underneath 13. That was pretty... Anyway, it was yeah. a little ridiculous. And the next day, it took us like 10 hours to go like 12 miles. What, what we're saying here is like when you get into the forest in New Zealand, depending on the mud sitch, we're just going to use mud sitch, depending on the mud situation... Your pace can be drastically different than what you would think if you was just walking a regular track. If you were just looking at the elevation profile, yeah, you might think, oh, it's a bit steep. Maybe I'll be going like two miles per hour. Mm -hmm. And then you get there and you're like, oh, no. Yeah, there are, <laughs> there are pinch points a lot in New Zealand, including the South Island, but on the North Island that... Sometimes, especially what Magpie said, the tail roars is a great example down there. Tararuas. He struggles with this word in particular. It, down near Wellington, that mountain, <laughs> that mountain range. I'm drawing a little circle on an imaginary desk right now. That mountain range is especially difficult. Um, it's not especially difficult say, per se physically, like you're doing elevation change. It's difficult in the way that there's so much mud and the steepness of it is you can't see your footsteps. So you have to be very conscientious and like very slow of where you put your foot. There's a lot of like uh, knife edge ridges that are also covered in tussock, which is like grass that grows in these like thick clumps and is very tall. Yeah. So like you'll have chest high grass, unstable, muddy footing underneath. You can't see where you're stepping. Also, the tussocks like create like these holes that are just perfect for breaking your ankle in. Yeah. And so you just have to, like, spend, like, 10 seconds placing each footstep, which slows you down. It's not necessarily the physicality of it. It's that you have to, like, push the grass aside, check that you can step there, step, get your balance, and then, like, check for the next step. Because yeah. if you fall, you might die. Yeah, honestly. And also just, like, you don't want to trip and break your ankle in right. this tussock grass or, like, sink up to your hip in mud, which you could also do. And even if you sink up to your hip in mud, it's not going to be the end of the world. It's just going to slow you down more, and you're already going, like, fighting hard to go a mile per hour. So yeah. yeah. So it's just going to slow you down really, more. it is really, really steep. Yeah. Like, the only places that are not tussocky or muddy or, like, gravel shale that's really unstable are the places that are, like, oh, it's 1,700 feet per mile elevation. And again... The hardest part of the Tauras, Taruas, that mountain range. Um, the hardest part of that for me was the somewhat flat line. It wasn't the climbs up to the ridge. No, it was the top of the ridge, it quote was, unquote. It was ridge. the quote unquote top of the ridge where you look like these little micro ups on the elevation profile, and it was from Draco Hut, I believe, to Royal Hut. 
Was that the next one? I don't thing? remember the next one. It was in between these, from Draco Hut to whatever that next hut is called, southbound. Midwyrilla? No, that's not it. But between there, it was a few miles, and like the elevation profile, you're like, I'm not doing any large ascents. I'm not doing any large descents. It's like maybe 50 feet here, 50 feet there. But those 50 feet. But those 50 feet were like either washed out, super, super steep shale. All of a sudden you're going down 200 feet. You're like, what happened to going down 50 feet? And then you're going back up 250. So you're like, oh, that's what they mean. I went up 250, down 200. So I only gained 50 feet. Yeah. <laughs> so quite rude. But that's that was the hardest part for me. Um, but yeah, we're, we're bouncing all over the place. There's just so much. I would much say that the Tararuas are some of the most physically strenuous and frustrating part of the TA. In terms of like backcountry hiking, the Richmonds technically are harder. Those are on the South Island, but the Tararuas are so, demoralizing. so slow. Yeah. They're so slow. And every day you're like, well, it can't get any harder than it has been. And then you get there and you're like, oh, it's harder today. Yeah. And like you're hiking, so there's always going to be a physical demand, but it's just mentally hard for me personally fighting hard and not being able to break a one mile per hour pace the mental game in there for me was the most difficult yeah beautiful the other thing that's frustrating about the tararuas is that like there's nowhere to camp at all you will not be able to set up a tent anywhere except where the huts are yeah so like if you get to the hut at like four o'clock and you're like, well, I don't think we can get to the next hut before dark. And you do not want to night hike this. <laughs> don't night hike this. Then you're hours. like, well, I spent all day getting here. And I technically still have five hours of daylight. But who knows, who knows how, how far long I go, yeah. the next thing is going to take me. And if I get stuck out here at night, like I'm screwed. I'm going to just sleep in the mud. I'm going to have to sit down <laughs> on trail and just wait until it gets light out. I'm going to just use mud as insulation and just sleep in the mud like a blanket. Don't do that. Don't do that. But, like, literally, that's what you'd be forced yeah. to do. Like, you couldn't continue forward. You wouldn't be able to set up anything. You'd yeah. just be stuck sitting on a, like, windy, cold cliff. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the Tororas for you. Um, Tororas. But I think I, what I want to do here, if you're game for this, it might be a little longer of a format episode, but I want to kind of go from resupply point to resupply point because we just broadly sweep the North Island, and there's just so much information that overall i think i don't know if i have that much to say about each individual okay so i'm gonna start and see what magpie feels like this welcome to our pocket snack ad break now is the time during the show during your hike during your adventure to reach into that hip belt pocket to reach into that gear pouch and treat yourself get yourself a nice little snack as we go through a bit of our quote-unquote ad can it be an ad if we're mostly talking about our own company? Don't know. That's uh, that's for better minds than ourselves. So welcome to the Pocket Snack ad break. Um, sit down, walk, do what you will, but make sure to grab that snack as you listen in. So we wanted to talk about Eleven Skies. Eleven Skies is the company that we formed two years ago, and we are hyper-focused in creating shorts and pants for the outdoors person, the hiker, the backpacker, the rafter, the bicyclist, anything and everything built a product that will last for any adventure ahead and it's also born the very name is born from the 11 national scenic trails so you can be proud to be representing promoting and bringing about awareness to the 11 national scenic trails and the very trails that gave us our name and continue to inspire us 
So make sure to follow along with us at 11skies on Instagram, Facebook, and make sure to go check out our website, 11skies.com, spelled 11skys.com, where you can learn all about us and you can get yourself some gear today. So that's the quick pocket snack ad break. Hope you enjoyed your snack. If you're still chewing, keep on keeping on. Let's get back into the show. So our first point to point was Cape Ranga or the Northern Terminus to Kataya. Um, I believe it was Kataya. It Let was me Kataya. check. Let me check and confirm. It was Kataya. Um, so the first section, you start out on 90 Mile Beach. And 90 Mile Beach, it's not actually 90 miles. I think it's like 60, 70 it's miles. It's actually. We but, didn't resupply But we there. didn't resupply there. We went into Kataya. So that first section is mostly beach line. Uh, coastline and it's almost it's almost entirely like firm sand beach yeah it's almost entirely firm sand beach and it's actually surprisingly a brutal start to a trail system so if you look at the elevation profile it's actually flat because you're not in the forest so you don't have to worry about those hidden miles but surprisingly flat brutal start to a hike it's really really firm sand so it's sort of like walking on concrete but with like the added stress of like there's no bounce back because it's sand. So yeah. it's like a tough way to break in your like feet and ankles and hips. Like because it's just a repetitive motion. It's a repetitive motion. And like the beach has a slight slant to it. That's yeah. consistent all the way across. So like one of your feet gets more beat up than the other. My right foot was bro broken by the end of yeah. that. Everybody that does it. I mean, it's beautiful for like yeah. four hours. And then after that, you're like, Oh, I got two more days of this beach. <laughs> yeah. And you would really be surprised. Like I've said this in other podcasts. I think I've said this in videos, but you'd be really surprised at how the flat miles affect your body. And you would think it would be a great way to break into trail with super flat miles. But I think we did. It's the... actually terrible. Yeah. It's actually really rough, especially if you're trying to do it quick. We ended up like doing a very slow first day, slow second day, and then just like tried to bang out at the end of the beach the third day or close to it. And Definitely led to some issues that had to work through for like the next week. I was limping pretty hard. Yeah. So So there are like three designated campsites that are like fourteen to eighteen miles apart. And then at the end you get to the Ahipara Holiday Park. Yeah. Which is pretty cheap. I think it's like ten dollars a person. Oh, that's another thing in New Zealand. When you pay for a campsite in New Zealand, even if you only have one tent, you always pay per person. Yes. Which is took us by surprise. But anyway, we, we digress. But so, so, let's see, then we roadwalked to Kaitaya. Oh, that's the official trail. It used to go through a forest here, but the forest is closed, uh, is closed due to cowrie dieback. So like the map systems of 2022-2023 have you directly walking into Kaitaya. Um, and from Kaitaya, we walked to Kerry Kerry, which actually put us through our first forested section, which was really, really cool. Um, that was like the last good forest until south of Auckland, I think. The Phuketi Forest, yeah. I think it was called. And the Phuketi Forest is the first forest section for Sobos, I believe, because of that forest closure. And you kind of fully experienced New Zealand. Again, the places that was the most difficult wasn't the steep descent down into the forest, wasn't the river crossing, wasn't the steep stairs out of the forest. It was the mud. It was the mud along the riverbank. Um, deep mud, like knee-deep mud. Yeah, so we were forced that day to crank out like a 34-mile day or somewhere in that ballpark. Oh, yeah, because there was an alternate, another official alternate oh, around yeah. like a portion of road that a farmer had closed because 
I don't know. He was doing something there that like he, he was mating bulls or something. Yeah, he I was, guess you're not mating bulls. Anymore. No, he was like he had bulls in the pen. Don't so get charged to, by a bull. Then you had to walk all the way around, but the um, official mileage hadn't been updated, so we ended up doing like four extra miles yep. that we hadn't planned for because of like an error on the map. And four miles in the grand scheme of things is not a whole lot extra, but especially being that still fresh into a new hike. And your also trying not... to get to town before the food closed, yeah. and then being like, wait a minute. Yeah, your body's not super... We have another hour and a half to go. Yeah, super used to it. So, like, that was a good push. And then from Kataya... Oops, I'm sorry. Carry, carry. You bounce into Pahia. There's not Pahia. A whole... Pahia. There's not a whole lot going on in that section. A little bit of forest. A little bit of road. Mostly road. Um, kind of very flavorful. You see some sheeps, some sheeples, but... Once so, like, to... the, the road before Paihia is, like, a nice sort of gravel farm track. So, like, yeah. it's pretty. There is another closed forest section through there. And if you're using, again, hike however you want to hike. I don't like the saying H-Y-O-H. It kind of wrinkles me a little bit. But what I'm trying to say is hike however you want to hike. But if you are going into it with a purism mindset, there's a lot of information of people saying, this road is super sketchy, like, People freak out People over a lot really of these roads. People get nervous about the roadwalks. Most of them are fine. Most of them are chill. There is like two, I think, that were notably like, ooh, I'm really glad that it's not more busy because yeah. there's no shoulder and it's a cliff and like blind corners. And everybody has a different comfort threshold, which is, again, super cool, super awesome. Just do what you're comfortable with. Um, again, Magpie and I's comfort threshold for a lot of these roadwalks, really not that bad. Um, but again, everybody has their own comfort threshold. So from Pahaya is where your first like yeah is where your first like big intro into like the amount of alternates the TA has. So from Paihia you're supposed to go into the Russell Forest. The Russell Forest is closed. Mm -hmm. That's like hundred and fifty miles of closure that you end up road walking around. There are two different ways you can get to the beginning of that closure. You could also opt to take a canoe hire, yep. like rent a canoe and like canoe in Paihia Bay, which probably would be cool because Paihia Bay is like really pretty. We heard from people though, it's only a few hour canoe and they said it wasn't worth the It was money. quite expensive. Paihia yeah. is a very expensive tourist town. Very big tourist town, yeah. So there's like technically three ways you could get to the, the alternate to go around the Russell Forest. Yeah. I don't know. I don't even remember which one we picked. They're both road walking. We, it just depends on whether you want to take a ferry like sooner or whether you want to walk across a bridge. So you have to get across a body of water here. So we took a ferry from Pahia to, I think it's Russellville. To Russell. To Russell, because that was the most connected footsteps of walking the landmass. So we got to Russell, did a long road walk. Road walk continued, longer road walk. Road and, walked around the forest and we had to a, another road walk. Yeah, this day we actually had three spots that we quote-unquote could camp first one too early in the day i think it was called the farm which a lot of people camp at the second one we just saw one comment yeah we got to the intersection and like it looked like this it, it was like a like a mom and pop like campground and they weren't there and they were closed so ended up being like our last option which means we had to push more miles that day but it also was probably one of both of our favorite camp spots on the trail so we hiked all the way to the town of oakura which it was a mile and a half off trail to get down to the bay, but it was the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful campsites on the entire trail. Oh yeah. Oakora is just like a teeny tiny little beach town. It's like a mile and a half long beach yeah. with like hostels and holiday homes all along it. Not they even have, that many hostels. 
One hostel. Justin. Shout out Justin's fishing, scuba diving, and also beer camping. drinking. I don't know what. It's a hodgepodge of everything. He go. He takes people on fishing tours, and you can camp in his backyard for like twenty bucks. But when she says backyard, it's a terraced mass. So he cut like a camping lawn into this terrace, and you're literally oceanfront, looking out over just a magnificent bay. That yeah. was amazing, and we hadn't even planned on going there. No. But it was worth the mile and a half yeah. out. Best fish and chips on the Best fish and chips on the entire, like, New Zealand for me. The fish and chips joint was, it's like, in the water. On the ocean. It's, like, in the water. Like, if they built it closer, they would have built it on the beach line. So, there's beach, one-lane road or two-lane road. Not I'm not going to say highway, but, like, road. And then the fish and chips joint. You could throw a rock from the... You could throw a fish from the fish and chips joint and hit the water. So, maybe the fishermen just pull up their boat... Get the fresh fish and just chuck it straight through the window. Literally, it's like 50 feet from the yeah. ocean. And like the freshest, most delicious fish and chips that I've yeah. ever had. That was fantastic. So like... And cheap. It was like six bucks. Yeah. That's the flavor a lot of the North Island is being flexible with where you're going to camp. Sometimes like you're walking, you're like, okay, I can't do that one because of these small towns. They might not have the... They don't structure. have space. Yeah. A lot of reasons. So like forces your hand to like go farther stop shorter like whatever it may be but just be flexible on the north island uh and then from Orokura, we did more road walk again not even an alternate just a road walk that's yep. part of it it's like 15 miles and that that put us into the dome forest helena ridge track which i don't even remember that was super steep was this one another alternate no it no. wasn't helena ridge was just super steep the flavor of the tracks in new zealand when you go into the forest steep and muddy especially on the north island then we had to do another alternate. Okay. Into Fananaki. Okay. And then we got to Fananaki, which is like another cute beach town. What's Fananaki? That's where we had to get the run to catch the guy's ferry. Oh, yeah. So then you have to like coordinate for another quote unquote ferry. Which no, is no, no. Like... Fananaki, you walked the longest bridge in New Zealand. But it... it's, oh, it's you're not right. that yet. So that actually is a good talking point though oh it was going fa- better, yeah fairies on the north island so to be a quote-unquote purist on the north island you connect every step until you hit a massive body of water that there is no alternate around that you could connect your steps unlike the south island we'll talk about that in a future episode but the north island it's ocean <laughs> so you can't swim the ocean you can't walk the ocean so the accepted practice is a lot of these small ferries across and by ferry, we mean it's like a guy with a motorboat. And it, it by, takes like five minutes. Yeah. And you're just going across like a deep inlet. Because all these towns exist because there are deep natural harbors where people can fish out of them. Yeah. So it's not like a swimmable stretch of ocean. No. There are fishing boats in the water. There are fishing lines in the water. It's like deep and cold and fast. Yeah. So like the ferry is your option for getting across. I think there were like four or five fairies i don't know exactly it's in our video somewhere but there's like a lot of them too are like not timed fairies like you get there you call the guy and he tells you when he can pick you up yeah so if you want to like continue forward momentum throughout the day you either have to like make sure you scheduled it beforehand or you just have to hope that you get there at a correct time um again shout out james which is a very famous place on the ta called james place which gets you across the Nunguru River. Gunguru River. Um, and he had a family emergency, I believe, that day. And, like, we would have had to, like, wait until 6 p.m. And we were trying to go for a big day that day. 
And we he would just, have had to wait till noon the next day. Yeah, it would have been a long time. So he ended up getting us across at like 2 p.m. And like, it just shows the kindness of the folks that you meet on the North Island. Well, he had to go back across on the boat anyway to like go attend to what he needed to do. Yeah. And he was like, if you can meet me here in five minutes, I can take you across. Yeah. And we ran and we were actually a little bit late, but he waited for us. And we're broad stroking a lot of these sections. It's going to be impossible to get into the detail we want to. But like, just imagine anything that we're skipping over, it was either a roadwalk or it was mud. <laughs> That's fair. Like, it was either mud or a roadwalk. And the yeah. roadwalks are like basically the same. A lot of them on the North Island are just like either like minimally paved roads or like packed gravel roads going through like sheep farms yeah and like up and over hills and like you do get a nice view every once in a while but mostly it's just like sheep sheep cows sheep it's constantly different but it's a lot of the same flavor a lot of the days on the north island um and kind of a parallel to the ferries or the little tug tug boats that you got to hop across on or skiffs is when you don't do that you have to time estuary walks to get across tidals so another big thing on the north island is timing tidal estuaries tidal inlets and there's a lot there are a lot so yeah. make sure that you get like good time good tide tables yes because yeah that because it's all these like narrow deep natural harbors the tide fluctuates like quite a bit so if you get there at high tide you just gotta wait yeah, I forget what it was called, but I think it was called like the Tahuni Estuary, where we timed it the absolute worst possible. Not, well, it could have been worse. <laughs> so we timed it very bad. Um, I think we were like an hour outside of high tide. So we started the ford or the walk just in the ocean, knee deep in the ocean, just hoping it would get shallower as we went. And like we would hit pockets of like hip high, sometimes getting close to chest high, got fantastic photos of magpie like just with the backdrop, pure ocean, and she's like up to her belly button. In yeah. it. So the tidal stuff is also a logistic of the North Island. The North Island is just logistical central. Be prepared for a lot of hiking logistics. A lot of the people who were like new hikers on the North Island too, we were like, oh no, trails aren't always like this. Like usually you just show up and walk. It's not like every day you have to figure out when's the tide, when's the ferry. Yeah you know, when do I want to walk this road? Because there are, like, places on the North Island that you have to walk the highways. Oh, here's a hot tip. The lower the number is on the highway, they're all called, like, State Highway 1, State Highway 6. The smaller the number, the busier the road. Yeah. They name them in order of importance. So, like, SH1 is, like, a major highway, and, like, SH12 is, like, less busy. Yeah. So sometimes you have to walk, like, SH1 or SH3, probably want to try to time that like really early in the morning because sh1 is really busy and shout out though to all the people that this is their first hike because like this is a insanely hard impressive <laughs> like it's hard to stay motivated road walking yeah it's hard to plan all the logistics out it's a really expensive hike because you have to Fair. pay to camp on the north island most of the time and then when you actually get into the track the track is ridiculously difficult yeah for people being this first hike no matter how you do it if you do the purism mindset tourist mindset adventure mindset no matter how you're hiking it, y'all are badasses. Um, very, very impressive. So that's kind of the flavor of the North Island. I guess, doing it piece by piece is ex extremely hard because there's so much. So much is the same. Yeah. Like, south of Gungadu, then it's like mostly just beach walk with tidal timing. Mangawa Heads was super cool. Fungawai Heads. Wapu was super cool. 
we're not going to do it section by section. No. We, t- we tried. We tried. Well, we tried. But like we just we have videos we're, for this. <laughs> we already talked about the Auckland Sprawl, which yeah. is like a week of like essentially a week. The of- Auckland Sprawl is super demoralizing. Yeah. And there's not even, they try to put you on like less busy roads. So you're not even like getting the benefit of road walking in a city often will be like, oh, well, at least like I'm near food. I don't have to carry anything in my pack. Yeah. You don't walk by any food. It puts you through like the university walk and then it puts you through like residential neighborhoods and then it like makes you climb a hill for no fucking reason. Yeah. And then you go down and then you're walking like near the airport. So it's not even like, oh, well, whenever I want, I can just pop in and get a sandwich. No. You're walking on, like, these industrial roads. Again, super beautiful if you explored Auckland as a tourist, as a purist hiker, demoralizing. <laughs> and some of the scariest road walking was actually in Auckland when we were walking around the airport. Oh, yeah. Those cars no did not care. You were people are, like, ripping past you. It's going like, to their factory job. Or trying to get to the airport in a hurry. Yeah. And, like, huge semis going past. You have to cross the road, like, six times. Yeah, so... There's a bunch of little bridges that have no shoulder. Yeah, so after Auckland, again, a lot of the same flavor. You had bits and pieces of forest track. It was actually the first time we swam a river that should not have been a river just because of the it flooding. It was raining. Um, but, yeah, this year as well, we haven't touched on that. Um... If you watch the videos, you'll see it. But this year, the year of 2022 into 2023 was heavy, 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 It was heavy, like the heavy, wettest. Heavy, 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 it was, heavy. It was the wettest summer on record for yeah. Auckland. Very, not just Auckland, like a for lot the of the North Island, Island. It set like rain records. I don't know the exact stats. I mean, I could go back and look at it. But as a ballpark estimate, we were on the North Island for 51 hiking days. And I think maybe 40 of those days had some type of rain, like not consistent rain every day, but some type of rain. We actually managed to like time our town stays with like the heaviest storms. We were very lucky. Which was lucky. But and also because we can just like decide to hike faster. Yeah. We were just like, all right, we're doing a 35 today because it's going to rain tomorrow. Yeah. South of Hamilton is where I remember it actually starting to become like what I pictured hiking New Zealand would be. Yeah. Like, that's when you first started getting into these, like, longer, consistent tracks that you might actually spend a full day in. Instead of, like, four hours in. Yeah, and, like, it actually, like, had the rolling hills. Like, it started, like, getting you prepared for actually tramping in the South Island. It took us, like, five weeks on the North Island to actually feel like, oh, this is the hiking that we came for. And I remember thinking we were going to do the North Island way quicker because, like, we had good mile days. But but we just couldn't speed up the pace there were so many days that you could only do 18 or 45 and that was it so we did 18 then there were also so many alternates that we were doing forward momentum but didn't actually count as the trail so like again using that james place as an example around the nguguru river gunguru river again sorry i'm trying my best but trying to get around that river we had to do an 18-mile road walk alternate to get forward momentum for one, one mile. mile. So, like, stuff like that would keep popping up. And we'd be like, well, there goes half of our day or more. He's like, we're pushing hard, but we're not really getting anywhere. Our entire day was spent doing, like, two official trail miles. Yeah. <laughs> that would continue on the same Not every day. Well. Not every day, but, but... like, some days. Yeah, there were some days. So, then you have... You have the river, um, the Tamarooni. 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 And it's the 
It's the Fonganui River. You start in Tamaranui. Okay, so you have to do a canoe hire. Um, <coughs> those demons, I'm sorry. Oh, I took a you sip. just cut them out. I can't cut the demons out. The demons are there to stay. Um, I took a sip and the demons went down the wrong tube. But the Tamaruni River. Tamaranui. Tamaranui is where you do this like giant kind of elbow curve. It's the Fonganui River also. Okay. You have to do logistics for it is what I'm saying. Like a lot of logistics. Um, but before you do it, you pop in, you schedule your boat trip, and then you continue walking in trail. Um, Another up, day? Day no, and a half? Longer through National Park. Oh, yeah. It's three days or so something. You, yeah. You go over the, by far, one of the highlights of the North Island is the Tongariro Crossing. Yeah. Alpine type environment, like Mount Dooms there from Lord of the Rings, like tourist mecca. Yeah, but it was nuts to butts. It was, yeah, it was nuts to butts, but it was just magnificently beautiful. Like that three sixty degree views that you picture in New, New Zealand, and it was, it was a highlight. Um, like I said, my opinion is if you were gonna hike in New Zealand and not do a Teroa through hike, but you still wanted to do most of it, you should start at Tongariro Crossing. This was the point in the hike where I was like, oh, this is worth it. I would agree with her on that stat start at Tongariro Crossing and just walk south to Wellington. And then if you do the South Island, do the South Island. And then it, you'll have all this extra time to go explore the pockets north of Tongariro um, and actually, like, enjoy them. <laughs> like, go go walk the Dome Cafe uh, there, tramping There are track. other tramping tracks that are yeah. not on the TA that, according to all the locals we met, they're, like, way more interesting from yeah. a backcountry hiking perspective. Yep. They're just not on the TA, and they're, like, not accessible from the TA. Yeah. And it's how you want to spend your time. You get to choose. We're just throwing information out into those ear holes here. So you do the Tongariro crossing, then you got the river, which usually takes five days. Yeah. But uh, for us, the river was really flooded. Yes. And so we did it in three, because the water was fast, and we were trying to, like, go quickly. To, to beat the bigger flood. To beat the bigger flood that yeah. was coming behind us. And we did beat the bigger flood, because we... Got off the river the day after it flooded more, and the day after that, I think they December. actually closed the river. Yeah, like if the water level gets too high, you it's not safe to be on the water. They don't the, put caution tape over the river or anything. It's just well, like but the, the, the DOC, yeah. the Department of Conservation Rangers, which is like the U.S. Forest Service, basically like the equivalent agency in New Zealand is the DOC. They actually have like manned huts along the river. Yep. And so if the water level is too high and dangerous, they just won't let you get on the water. So like yep. some people that were hiking the Teroroa got stuck at those huts for like a day or two waiting for the water level to go down so that they can continue. So we really didn't want to get trapped yep. on the river. So we just pushed super hard to get to Fonganui. Yeah. And like that was a good choice because like the day after we finished the river trip the river got shut down for two days it was and like the river i mean this is just an ongoing theme of the year that we did in the north island the floods of that river the floods of the tracks the floods of other rivers made people be all over the place on the track so like the river got closed for like a week which meant that like a lot of southbounders ended up like hitchhiking around it hiking south to either palmerston north or wellington and then when the river was opened again they hitchhiked back and paddled the river so we ended up like mixing with people that were like behind us ahead of us like people would hitch forward to try to do the river yeah. when it was open because all summer long it was getting 
closed and opened and closed and opened depending on the water levels. So that's what also made like, granted, a lot of people had pockets of trail families, but that also what made like the cohesion of hikers a little difficult this year is because people were just all over the place. Um, we were hiking with people, yeah, from Wellington that were 200 miles ahead of us, but they were back there. We were hiking with people from Auckland that were 200, 300 miles behind us. Like it was just folks from all over the place and that made it difficult. But uh, I don't, I don't know. After the river, there's more flood, more flood, more flood closures. It was just like flood after flood, more beaches. Um, and then there was a lot of the tar ruins were gorgeous, gorgeous, brutal, difficult. Um, and then it was like the final push to Wellington and like, I was in a really bad funk for like three days going into Wellington and it like crescendoed at the finish of the end of Wellington. Which is too bad because I was really enjoying Wellington and like the Wellington trail through Wellington. If you don't know much about this city, it's a city that's famous for having like funiculars and gondolas as like people's access to their houses because it's on such a steep cliff that you can't like build a driveway up there your car would just roll down so like it has it's a really beautiful city but it has all these super super steep hills in the middle of it kind of like san francisco but like more so mm -hmm. and so because it has all these beautiful parks the trail goes out of its way to like wind you through every single ridiculously <laughs> steep hill in the city because it's a beautiful park yeah which would have been fine except that we were like trying to get to our hotel to check in and eat but that said, like, when you're not walking up a ridiculously steep hill for no reason, it actually puts you, like, down these pretty blocks with, like, cafes and ice cream and, like, beautiful beachfront. But Constantine was so grumpy that I didn't get to do any, like, oh, we could just, like, dawdle our way down through the city and then, like, get a ride back to our hotel. No, we were just, like, crushing miles. But I wasn't trying to take my grumpiness out on you. You so, weren't, like, but I also, I was like, do you want to get ice cream? You're like, no. So something that works for me or has worked for me in the past is like, if I do get upset on trail, usually if I push harder, like my energy will burn the grumpiness out. And I tried that to not affect magpies when you hike with a partner, romantic, otherwise, friend, trail family, whatever it is, you don't want your emotions to adversely affect another person's hike. So like I was trying to stay in front of her and hike faster but she's a fast hiker so. and i was also trying to catch up with you to yeah. be like i'm hungry let's get a sandwich you're like fine we'll get a sandwich yeah so for people that followed along with our videos um of this hike you'll notice it's day i don't know i think it's i guess we finished day 49 day 51 something like that somewhere in there so it's near the end when we're walking into wellington you'll see i try to be polite present and like film the trail for informational purposes but you you'll are in the it. worst mood I've ever seen you in. Yeah, you'll see Like, it. without, like, in the three years, four years that we've been together, I've never seen you in a worse mood than you were on the day that we went into Wellington. Yeah, you'll see an underlying tone in those days of just me being upset. And I want to expand upon it just a little bit more than I did in the videos to give context to this and to give, I just, context to everybody listening. It's not the TA's fault. It's not the Taylor's fault. It's not the Rain's fault. I do turn into a grumpy cat when rain happens, as Magpie knows. Um, it's not that, it's not the ex expectations of the hike being a certain way and it not turning out that way with trail culture, with just the miles, a different type of trail. I could have been anywhere in the world, like on a magnificent trail in the Grand Canyon and the TA is a magnificent trail, but I could have been on the most scenic, most well-groomed, most epic trail 
ever. I don't, I can't come up with an example with that, but it's just where I was in my life cycle as, uh, it's where I was at in my life. Um, I'm a 28 year old man. And at this point in my life, I have dedicated six, seven years pretty consistently to through hiking. And it just, I had a lot of questions popping in my head of how I was spending time. Um, if I was utilizing my time, right. Like, um, I had questions of worth. I had questions of like value again for my own internal purposes, my community purposes, trail purposes. Like I had a lot of kind of deep, not morality questions, but deep questions about like, I guess life in general, um, just about what I was doing with my life. And I think that led to a lot of like feeling of conflictions, especially as we were finishing this hike and it being all these factors playing into it. So I think that expands upon it a little bit without going too deep into it. Um, there were just a lot of questions that I answered partially. Some I still hadn't fully answered even now as we record this, but there were a lot of questions that were rising up pretty much before we started the TA, but they really flared up that last week into Wellington. And a lot of the frustration was coming from chewing through getting towards an answer or not even getting towards an answer, but like trying to structure those thoughts better in my head. I think of somewhat, some of what was frustrating was like, as you approached Wellington, and I'm not saying this in a judgmental way, but like, this is how I felt about it was like, Wellington is the end of the North Island. And as you approach the end and realize like, oh, what percentage of this hike so far have I actually enjoyed? And what percentage is just like, oh, we'll just get this over with so we can get to the good part. Mm-hmm. It's sort of the math didn't add up in a way that was satisfying. And, it's you know, you kind of can feel that as you're getting close. But as you get to the end of the North Island, you're like, oh, I've only enjoyed 20 percent of the last 50 days yeah is this really a good use of my time do i want to keep hiking this trail like why did i do it the way that i did i was feeling a little bit frustrated that you stuck to being like such a purist on it because i think we could have had a better time if we had been able to just be like you know what let's take the train yeah (laughs) like that was i think part of why you felt that right then whereas for me i had had that feeling like a week or so before and had just been like well just wait until we get to the South Island and then it'll be good. Yeah. And I was like, oh, we're almost there. I'm so excited. We're going to get to the South Island. I've also like heard lots of cool stuff about Wellington. So I was really excited to be in the city. Yeah. And he was just going through that feeling of, did I just waste a month and a half of my life? But it, it, quote unquote, wasting a month and a half of your life, it would have been less extreme if that was the thought I had. It would have been less conflicting if i'm just like a month and a half i can chalk up a month and a half but it just rolled into like did i just waste the last like seven years of my life again i don't want to use the term waste in like the sense of that's how you were feeling about it not like how it actually is because i've gotten so much from trail and so much from hikes but it's just like i questioned my use of time um i questioned what i wanted out of life it's the types of maybe i had a midlife crisis at the age of 28 (laughs) that's honestly what it felt like of like who do I want to be? Am I on the path to, and am I making the choices to choose what makes me happy in this world? Or am I just in a cycle? There's a lot of stuff that happened 
internally. And again, I still don't have the answers to a lot of it, but I wanted to put that disclaimer in there and expand on it a little bit because by no means was it the TA's fault. The TA is a beautiful trail, a beautiful adventure. I would be having those feelings anywhere in the world. It's just where my life path happened at that moment. And I happened to be on the path to Wellington. Which is actually like really nice hiking. I don't yeah, want it to like, beautiful actually hiking. hiking through Wellington is really nice as long as you're prepared for it to take forever. Yeah. Uh, and I think it would have been even nicer if you weren't like in the worst, literally the worst mood you've ever been in for our whole relationship. Yeah. Because we could have got ice cream. We got ice cream the next day. Yeah, but it's not the same. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, Wellington is nice. Oh, the other thing you should know is if you get there anytime near Christmas, book your ferry like a week in advance. Yes. Logistics, logistics, logistics. We had to spend two days in Wellington because there were no ferry times available to take us to the South Island, which like wasn't the worst thing, but it also like meant that we were in Wellington for New Year's Eve. Yeah. And that meant that there was nothing open and we couldn't go eat. There were very limited ferries. I think we might have been able to like do one zero in there, but... Then we would have been getting on the ferry at like three in the morning. And then you have to time your logistics once you hit Picton to Because you have to take up. another ferry <laughs> after. Once you get to Picton, you have to take another ferry to get to the place... Ship Cove. Where you start hiking the Queen Charlotte track. So. And you also have to get accommodation in Picton, which, which is, is tiny. a very small town. Before you do the TA, before you plan it, before you hike it, Get a tin, I don't know if they sell packs, get a tin of dominoes and just start playing domino mind games for preparation. Just line up a domino and see what happens when you push that first domino into the trickling effect of six dominoes. There's so much logistics on the <laughs> and TA. that's how you prepare for the TA. If you are a flight attendant, you'll do real good at the TA. If you're like a booking agent or <laughs> yeah. an accountant. Like a travel a agent. A travel agent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. That's the skill you need. That is the skill you need. Another, th another thing, oh, before we go, again, this episode's going to be a little longer. We're all over the place. Forgive us first. I think that's pretty par for the course at this point. Yeah, but firsthand, too, at recording in a long time, I do want to give a massive shout-out to the North Island, specifically, specifically for one of the reasons that touches my heart the most. We just talked about depressing... I almost cussed. We, we just talked about depressing demons exercised out of my soul. Exorcisms? <laughs> exercised exercised you could exercise demons while exorcism you could get exercise what while having an say? exorcism massive shout out to one of the things that did my heart the best on the north island is it i think i know what it is what is it chonky chonky doggos it is chonky doggos and i want you to understand this word as i understand it it's not chunky chunky has a bad connotation it's chonky which gives you a warm fluffy love cuddle heart feeling of happiness legit the dogs in new zealand are huge they are massive i don't know if it's in the water i don't know if it's the breeding for some reason the dogs in new zealand people just love their big dogs chonky that's the best like word large, for it like rottweiler chonky and it's not fat it's not like they're just, no they're not fat they're big bones you give it a pat pat and you just hear thuds like it is straight up chonky so like Every day we're on a road walk, we got to see at least one chonky dog. And that honestly helped me finish the North Island. Yeah, I think it might have saved your sanity. Ah, uh, well, that was gone a long time ago while I exercised demons in it. <gasps> oh, it's going to be so bad. You're, I don't understand why you do this to yourself. 
He's trying to drink the energy drink and hiccuping because it's so bad. I gotta drink all of it before the show ends because that's what they want. That's what they demand. I don't think that that's a rule that you've ever imposed on yourself before. I've always imposed that rule. We've talked about the rule on, on live television before. Live television? You mean I recorded podcasts? I looked at the screen and I didn't know what to say, so I just said TV. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a TV. Anyway. I'm not done yet. One, one more sip. Mm. I fill the silence with something fun. I mean, I think that about wraps up the North Island. You look like you're in pain. My eyes are watering. That's how we end every episode, with just tears of happiness and tears of joy and pain. And tears of doggos. I do want a chonky doggo, yes. Anyway, whenever we get to it, we'll record the South Island of the Tarara. I think that was a good overview of the North Island. I think it was pretty accurate and fair. We started trying to break down the sections and that it just didn't work. It did not work. It doesn't work. It's just overview. We're just trying to give you information. You pick and choose what you want from that. Go find yourself a chonky doggo. We're going to go to the beach. Well, that'll do it for this week. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to pop on over to Apple Podcasts or whatever player you use and leave a rating and a review. It helps other people find the show. This podcast is brought to you by Eleven Skies, gear that will change with you, not for you. So give us a check out at elevenskies.com. And that's the show. See you next week.